On episode 596 of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Dr. Brian King and discuss his book of bears and weight loss, how to manage triggers, lose weight, and enjoy getting fit. You can find the full show notes for this episode at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 596. Have you decided you're ready to make a change to reclaim your health and fitness? The 40 Plus Fitness Podcast is here for you. Each week, we dive deep into health and fitness topics that affect those of us over 40. I'm Coach Allen. I'm an NASM certified personal trainer with specializations in corrective exercise, behavior change, performance enhancement, and fitness nutrition. A precision nutrition level one coach, a FAI certified functional aging specialist, and an OTA level two online trainer. Each week, I'm joined by our co-host, Coach Rachel. She is an NASM certified personal trainer and a RRCA level one run coach. Let us be your coaches as you find your way on your health and fitness journey. All right, let's go. I've got a few announcements that I want to share with you before we get going. I'm going to host free workshops during the month of July. The workshop focuses on mindset and motivation. I'll be working directly with you in a group setting on Zoom. If you struggle with mindset or motivation, this is the event for you. And did I mention that it's free? There are four dates, July 1st, 6th, 15th, and 18th. Just pick the date and time that works best for you. Go to 40plusfitness.com forward slash workshop to register. I'm currently enrolling clients in the Shed the Fat 12-week program. It's a weight loss program. Lose inches, lose pounds as we design a customized, sustainable program that works for you. You can learn more about this program at 40plusfitness.com forward slash weight loss. And finally, I'm trying to put together the first 40 plus fitness retreat in Bocas del Toro, Panama over the week of August 28th to September 1st. Several people have told me they're interested in doing something like this, but so far I haven't really had any takers. You can learn more about this retreat at 40plusfitness.com forward slash retreat. If I don't get anyone to sign up this week, though, I'm probably going to end up pulling the plug on it. So just so you know, you might want to look at that sooner rather than later. So again, the dates for the workshop are going to be, and it's free, is July 1st, 6th, 15th, and 18th. Go to 40plusfitness.com forward slash workshop for more information about that and to register. If you're interested in losing weight and working with me directly on my 12-week Shed the Fat program, you can go to 40plusfitness.com forward slash weight loss to learn more. And finally, again, we're having the retreat at the end of August. Go to 40plusfitness.com forward slash retreat to learn more about that. Hey, Raz, how are things? Good, Alan. How are you today? Um, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it's always interesting down yeah, there. Yeah, it's always interesting down here. We, uh, <laughs> we're still in a drought. I probably mm -hmm. talked about that a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, last week, and this week. We did get a little bit of rain, like half an inch, but not nearly enough. Um, so we're dry. Um, oh. Literally, the pipes are empty. They blow air. Oh, you know? weird. Uh, so yeah, you turn on your spigot and it's just air coming out. Oh. Um Better than mud. Yes. <laughs> Better than mud. <laughs> For sure. But, but not water. Uh, and so the the locals, you know, lo the local businesses are, are ordering water. So there's 
private companies that'll bring tanks over from the mainland and they'll sell mm-hmm. you water so you can fill up your tanks and take care of your guests, take care of your patrons, that kind of thing. And I'm probably going to have to do that uh, today or tomorrow, but the locals are pretty upset that, you know, there are trucks coming over with water on it and it's not the government or the water company doing any of it to provide them with any water. So it's, it's gotten pretty bad. Uh, Tammy did a fundraiser and bought a tank for us to be able to put water and to buy water and put it in there, which we did once already. Mm -hmm. And that was empty within 24 hours. So there's a huge, huge need for water here. Uh, And it's relatively warm. I think today it's in the high eighties, which is warm Mm -hmm. for here. Um, Mm -hmm. And my air conditioner's out. So uh, triple win. Uh, (laughs) No water, no air conditioning. And uh, roads getting blocked for strikes. And so kind of kind of an interesting uh, few days here. Uh, mm-hmm. Tammy's also in David, so I'm, I'm running Lula's by myself. So there's oh, that. Gosh. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Well, good luck with all that. My heart yeah. goes out to you. You know, but it's it's good. It's good. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I've, I've got a system down, a process down as I go through and, and do my day and do my life. And so, you know, it's just this is compared to where I was back when I owned the gym and then, you know, mm-hmm. other times of the year, uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've been at points where I was just at wit's end and stressed out. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm just gonna let it fall off my wa- back, like a water off mm-hmm. a duck's back and just say, That's Hey, right. what I can control, I'll control. I can't make mm-hmm. it rain. I can order water. I can hope that the truck can get to me and that the mm-hmm. locals don't attack the driver. Uh, which oh, I don't gosh. think they'll do, but I think it's getting, it's getting to that point where if the government oh. doesn't do something, uh, it's going to be a problem. But, um, at any rate, we'll work through this. We went through an yeah. eight week drought, um, last year. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see how this goes. How wow. are things up there? <laughs> Good. <laughs> we have a little rain, but same thing, not enough. We, uh, had a little bit, but, um, everything's getting all dry and yucky, but we'll, we'll manage. So okay. nothing- well, if, if you're someone who's religious uh, and you pray, uh, just yeah. ask for a little bit of rain down here. Right. <laughs> uh, there's a lot yep. of people that do really need it. I can buy tanks of water. You know, I, I have the wherewithal to be able to call somebody and mm-hmm. pay them $40 for 400 gallons of water. Uh, but there's a lot of people down here that just can't do that. So um, yeah. if you're if you're in that frame of mind, please do think about the people that are down here and mm-hmm. wish them some rain. Yep. That's what we'll be praying for. Praying for some rain. So um, how's everything else? Well, yeah, it's been a little nutty up here too. You know, um, I've mentioned to you and our listeners that my husband had kidney cancer last year and he had his kidney removed in December and his follow-up treatment is the occasional CAT scan. And um, we had an unusual CAT scan this last time, which created a lot of what we call scanxiety. I think it's a very common term in the cancer world and probably other worlds too. It's where you get a lot of anxiety over your scan until you get the results. And um, this unusual scan of ours uh, resulted in getting a biopsy of a couple of lymph nodes near the lungs, which we just recently um, gotten the results for, and they are clear of cancer. So um, he's probably sick with some virus of some sort, but In the meantime, you know, if you've ever had cancer, you just worry, you just worry if this will be the the next uh, time that you have to fight it again. And so I'm happy to report that it appears as though we've dodged another bullet. (laughs) So um, it's, but you know, people, 
scan anxiety is a real anxiety. It's a, it's a real difficult thing to manage. And, you know, we, you and I talk a lot about mindset matters and it's so important to kind of try and keep some control over where your brain goes, but it's often easier said than done. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, I agree. Well, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know that I know many people as positive as Mike. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I know it's weird that he's the one going, but you're going through it too. So mm-hmm. you two lean on each other. I'm sure you we do. do. But, uh, yep. He's, he's yep. a strong guy. He's going to work he his is. way through this. Yep. So good news so far. That's, well, that's a happy report. Yep. <laughs> All right. You ready to have a conversation with uh, Dr. Brian King? Sure. Sounds great. Our guest today is trained as a neuroscientist and psychologist. For the past decade, he has traveled the world as a comedian and public speaker. By day, he conducts seminars presented nationwide and attended by thousands of people each year on positive psychology and the health benefits of humor and stress management. By night, he practices what he teaches in comedy clubs. He began performing stand-up comedy in San Francisco Bay Area in 2009 and has performed hundreds of shows around the world. He has a bachelor's degree from the University of Texas, a master's degree from the University of New Orleans, and a PhD from Bowling Green State University, and is the author of The Laughing Cure. With no further ado, here is Dr. Brian King. Brian, welcome to 40 Plus Fitness. Hey, Alan. Thank you for having me. Now, now your book is called Of Bears and Weight Loss, How to Manage Triggers, Lose Weight, and Enjoy Getting Fit. Um, you know, when I first saw the first one, I'm like, okay, well, I guess we're going to talk about bears. Uh, it kind of ties into <laughs> something you've, you've got into in your other books. Uh, but this was, this is your kind of approach to this. You're a comedian and also a psychologist and your wife is a uh, occupational therapist. So mm-hmm. you, you had a lot of uh, deep stuff to dive into. Uh, and, and I think that's, I think that's incredible because you're not just talking from a Oh well, this is what the literature says. This is what you should do. Uh, you're in the trenches. You've lost over a hundred pounds. Right. Um, I'm assuming you still kept that off since you wrote the book, because you, if you could lose weight while you're writing a book, I'm, you're you're on to something. You need to sell that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so you know, again, I really appreciate the way you put this together. It's it's a very human book, which is very different in this space where this you're you're sharing yourself. You're sharing a lot of yourself, a lot of your wife and your family and and your friends, and and I really appreciate that you took the time to do that. Well, thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. And I, I I appreciate that you took the time to actually read it. <laughs> so well, I, <laughs> I I read every book, and I I think authors deserve that uh, because I don't want this interview to be just like every other interview yeah, where they ask tell me you the about five, your book. Yeah, yeah the what five stated you questions. Yeah, yeah. Why, how, why how cover for your book that's a really insightful question from a podcast you know like (laughs) like like what the cover come on that's that's as far as they got (laughs) i know know, i appreciate i appreciate that you read it uh that that's awesome and uh yeah and i appreciate the feedback and 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 you're right it is a personal uh book i have an approach uh to the way i do things and I, i don't know Sometimes I second guess myself. In fact, I think I do that all the time. Every creative does, uh, you know, but I sometimes I feel like I give away too much personal <laughs> information. You know, I'm, uh, I talk and I was like, I don't know, this could bite me, you know, in the future when people are, you know, like trying to cancel me, uh, I don't know, you know, like, a, or, yeah. uh, you know, could, could 
catch up to my wife or my daughter, you know, uh, I don't really uh, think I've shared anything that would be disparaging, but these are the thoughts that yeah. pop in your head as you're about to release a book into the world that's pretty personal, you know? Yeah. Well, and I, I know, I know when I wrote mine, you know, I, I had to, I had to get to that point of, uh, they call it, they call it in my business vulnerability, where you're willing mm -hmm. to share your feebles and fobbles and wobbles and falls just so someone else can learn and maybe not go, or at least not take as long. You know, my, my journey took eight years. Um, you were working on this for well over five years. Um, yeah. and if we can shorten that timeline and make more people healthy, it's worth a little bit of grief on our side, I think. I think so too. Uh, if I can, uh, if I can, if anybody can get something from uh, my work, you know, and uh, and of course to recognize that the struggle is very real. It's very difficult uh, to to lose weight, manage our behavior, uh, you know, to consistently make healthy choices in life. You know, uh, you mentioned that I had uh, that you were saying. Well, you, you know, you, you're assuming I've kept the weight off uh, after writing the book. Uh, the reality is, is like, man, I've, I've, I've still yo-yoed because I, 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 after writing that book, I went on a tour and that tour was very difficult uh, to keep my weight off because I'm on the road eating out every day, you know, and did what I could to try to maintain. And then I came, I got off that tour and I, uh, I, I managed to drop my tour weight and come back down. And, and then I went on another tour and, you know, there's always something it's a, uh, it is a struggle uh, to maintain choices. I'm still at the weight that I was at uh, when I finished the book, you know, which is 100 pounds lost. Uh, but I haven't been able to get deeper into that, and uh, and that's kind of you know that that sometimes gets discouraging. You know, I need to I need to lose at least maybe another 50 or so uh, uh, to you know to get myself down to what I would like to be uh, as a goal. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a tough process, and I think the the thing that I share with my book is not just why it's a tough process, you know, as a psychologist or as, as somebody who's trained in psychology, but uh, a little bit about why even it's hard, it's still a worthy pursuit. Uh, and I think that you know sometimes uh, you know sometimes I think about my book and how it lines up on the shelves with other books you know in fact I, I just had this conversation with my publisher earlier today uh, it's not a diet book you know it's not a it's not a workout book you know it's not uh, you know usually you see weight loss books that are written by people who have uh, been very overweight and then lost a whole bunch of weight and they said hey look at me I lost a whole bunch of weight here's how I did it read my book uh, you know yeah and then there's other people who um, never gained weight you know like they maybe they were uh they, they started out by making good choices and they, they did the right things and they realized maybe early on and they say hey look read my book you know all my life i've been living fit and living healthy and and i made good choices and 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 you know you read and you can too but it's probably too late for you i read my book <laughs> you know <laughs> so my book is sort of uh uh the odd man out it's the guy who's lost weight and says, hey, I've lost a lot of weight, still got a lot of weight to lose. Boy, is it hard. Here's why it's so hard. Read my book. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, uh, and so there's a, uh, there's a difference. Yeah, there is. There's interestingly enough, you're, you're not the only obese uh, diet book writer out there. I've read, I've had several, I've had a few on, on this podcast anyway. 
uh, I won't, I won't mention names, but um, it, you know, it, it is real. And I think that's, that's why it, this book comes off as so, uh, so good is that it's, it's a personal journey and it's, it's a different journey for each and every one of us. And I want to get into that uh, today. Um, what I, what I really liked about your story was that how you came to your why, I mean, you're, you're a touring comedian. You could, you, you know, there's even a, a kind of a whole genre of overweight, uh, comedians that talk about it. You know, Ralphie May was one, uh, Panette, I think was another one. So there's guys who actually, that's their thing. That's what they talk about. And, uh, in a way you did too. So you could have just kept being that persona, you, you know, bigger, bigger than life in more ways than one. Um, I, uh, I'm flipping through, I was flipping through Amazon recently. I think it was Amazon. And, um, uh, I, I came across uh, Gabriel Iglesias as a new show uh, about, I, I don't know what it's called, but it's about him and a bunch of other overweight comedians all on tour together. And then they're just eating. Every episode is about how much they eat and their stuff in their faces and stuff, you know, and I'm half thinking, you know, that could be my show. <laughs> uh, I don't know why, uh, I don't know why that genre exists, but I, I, I I, I would much rather well, have a show. I can, where I can tell you, like I can tell you exactly it. why it exists. It exists because it's, it's personal to us. I mean, 67% of Americans are overweight or obese. So when an obese comedian gets up there and makes it funny, um, then you're able to, you kind of laugh at yourself. You kind of laugh at yeah. him and it gets you past some of the trauma that we feel when we feel like we've let ourselves down and we can't change our circumstances. Right. So the only thing you can do sometimes is laugh. Yeah. Um, but you came across your why and, and that really changed everything for you. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Uh, but before I do that, let me just say that there have been many times in my life and I didn't, I didn't address this in my book, but as you're probably aware, there've been many, many times in my life as an overweight person, everybody has the same kind of basic story many times where I'm like, okay, this is it. This is the day. This is the straw that's breaking this camel's back. You know, this is, and that would motivate me for a week or two, you know, sometimes even less than that really. And then I would fall right back into those old behaviors. You know, the thing that has consistently been able to uh, motivate me through the past five years and really helped me shed some weight and keep most of it off, depending on when you're talking to me is, um, is the, the birth of my daughter. You know, I became a father uh, late in life. Uh, I was about 45 when uh, when my partner got pregnant. And uh, and as I was approaching uh, fatherhood, I had to really take a big look at myself and, and you know, look at my then my existing health and my uh, trajectory. If I can, if things continued the way they were. And uh, I didn't see a, a, a long future uh, ahead of me with my with my daughter. You know, she's now six. Uh, I'm still always thinking about you know how long how long do I have with her? You know, really. And that is the the reason why like I didn't indulge in all this you know snack. of snacks and things and I'm, I'm 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 trying to avoid them every time i'm like i'm just tempted to go get a snack i think about you know i got the six-year-old kid that i want to be 26 perhaps 36 if i'm lucky <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. i i want to be able to i want to be able to follow her as long as i possibly can and i don't want her to have to come home and 
and uh, you know, deal with like, oh, there's daddy just, you know, something happened to daddy. You know, it's like I don't want that to be ever a thing. So the less I can burden her and the more I can be there for her. That is really my why. And I think that is the more the most powerful uh, life change that I have ever experienced up until that point. And, uh, you know, I, uh, every, every other little moment where I was like, okay, this is it. I'm, I'm going to start making some changes and so forth. And it didn't last very long because it wasn't that important. You know, maybe I, I don't know, maybe I had an issue where, you know, I, 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 I grew out of a size of clothes that I liked, or maybe I got rejected by a girl that I was pursuing or something. Well, I don't know. Those aren't specific examples. But, you know, whatever it was before my daughter was born was not sufficient enough uh, to make me continue to follow through. Uh, the presence of my daughter, uh, even uh, even her being such a significant motivator, I still have the yo-yo problem. I still go up and down. But uh, in generally, if you look to the entire you know time that she's been alive, it's been a general downward slope. So I hope I can continue and, and add a few years to my life so that I can hang out with her a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, my, similar, my story is a little similar with a few major differences. My, my daughter was born when I was 25. Um, and so I found her at 20 years old, uh, when I was 40 years old, 45 years old, 46, and she was 20, yeah. about to be 21. She, um, she got into this, uh, CrossFit and tough, you know, the obstacle course races and all this kind of stuff. And so that's who I was when I was her age. I was that athlete guy running around doing those crazy things. And I was like, she's becoming a little me, you know, again, and it, it, time and time again. Yeah. But then I realized, you know, she, she, I couldn't, I couldn't be there with her. You know, I, the, she invited me to go watch her do a CrossFit competition. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Uh, the rate I'm going, I'm, I'm not going to see and be a part of her life. I'm not going to be a participant in her life. Um, and, yeah. you know, my health was terrible. Uh, I wasn't necessarily thinking about it from a mortality perspective, but I realized, okay, you know, she's in college and here I am and I'm responsible for her. She's doing all these great things that I want to be a part of. I don't want to just sit at a finish line and watch her or sit over in the corner and watch her do her CrossFit stuff. I want to, I want to go do those things with her. And so it really was kind of that turn on for me to say, okay, it's time to get serious about this. It's time to, you know, to put on the big yeah. boy pants or, you know, and, and just say, okay, I'm going to do this thing and going to make Ironically, the big boy pants are probably the ones you grew out, you know, you shrunk yeah. out of. You know? Yeah, it, it, I, absolutely. Yeah. And just like you, I had, I, cause I wore suits to work. I literally had uh, suits from, from waist size 33 all the way up to 48 uh, in yeah. my closet at one time, uh, which is kind of crazy, but um one of the big things that you did, uh, obviously, well, your wife got involved and a partner got involved and she said, I want you to go get a checkup. You got a checkup. Mm -hmm. Also, we're having some difficulties with sleep apnea at the time. Uh, yeah. And you, you did some things to address that. Can you talk about your experience with sleep apnea and what you did there? Because in the yep. book, you said this was a huge first step for you. A big one, big one. So uh, sleep apnea, now I don't know if I've suffered from sleep apnea my entire life or not, uh, because I only got diagnosed at the age of 45. But, but I do know I had sleep problems for a long time. You know, as far back as I can remember, people complained about my snoring. You know, so that was that's related to sleep apnea, of course. Uh, I've always been heavy, uh, so that that contributes to the presence of sleep apnea. It's very possible that I lived with sleep apnea for a very long time, and as I 
uh, as sleep, one thing that sleep apnea does is that I did not understand when I first uh, uh, got diagnosed. And, and I'll tell you, I'm, I may I may have the title of doctor, but I'm not a medical doctor, so that's why I can uh, allow myself to not know about sleep apnea. <laughs> you know, I, people are like, wait a minute, doctor doesn't know about sleep apnea? Well, I'm a psychologist, so shut up. <laughs> but but the uh, uh, the thing is, is that I had always assumed that sleep uh, snoring was just noise. You know, that that sleep apnea uh, was just loud snoring. You know, I had a friend who had it. I watched him sleep. He was horrible. He was, he was so loud. He'd wake himself up. You know, I didn't realize what was happening uh, was actually my throat was restricting uh, the passage of air uh, because my, my fat throat uh, was restricting the passage of air. And, uh, and, and because I wasn't be allowed to get air through my, 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 my throat, uh, obviously I wasn't getting very important oxygen into my body, you know? And so what happens uh, when you have one of those moments is that that is a pretty significant threat to your continued existence. And so your body wants to uh, suddenly wake you up so that you can start breathing again. And the mechanism it does, uh, a mechanism it uses to wake you up is by giving you a jolt of a hormone we call cortisol. It's a stress hormone. And so uh, cortisol is implicated in all sorts of things. It, uh, when, when cortisol levels are high, it's very difficult to lose weight. Uh, you know, there's, there's all sorts of other uh, problems that are associated with cortisol, long-term cortisol. We think about all the problems of chronic stress. Those are problems associated with, uh, with increased cortisol that's sustained over a long period of time. I had been earning my living, ironically, as uh, somebody who teaches people how to manage stress. In fact, the book I wrote prior to this one was all about stress management. And so as somebody who, who manages stress really well, talks about the value of managing stress pretty well, uh, for, uh, you know, without knowing it, I was actually uh, living with very high cortisol levels brought upon by the fact that my body had felt the need to keep waking my waking me up uh, all night long, you know, getting terrible sleep, terrible, uh, you know, uh, finding it very difficult to be physically active, being uh, more motivated to consume uh, high caloric foods to help compensate uh, for the cortisol, high cortisol levels, you know, uh, uh, and also uh, it, it, accumulating body weight in the process. And so uh, having my apnea for however long, uh, undiagnosed and untreated, just led me to get into a physically disastrous condition uh, by the time I was approaching uh, the, the birth of my daughter. And like I said, I knew nothing about apnea. So when my, uh, my wife, my now wife brought me in to uh, get a checkup, she literally uh, presented it to me as like, look, you need to talk to a doctor because uh, I'm concerned about your ability to be there for this child. And I was like, all right, fair enough. You know, uh, I mean, I know the doctor is just going to tell me to lose some weight. I know that's what I got to do, you know, but uh, I had no idea uh, that this sleep apnea was a major obstacle. You know, uh, every time I had tried to lose weight, every time I tried to adhere to a calorie restriction or exercise or do anything uh, that I previously had done that showed me a little bit of success, uh, I, it was not working. In fact, I was accumulating weight while I was attempting to lose it. And so once the, um, the physician was talking to me, uh, you know, he didn't even run any tests or anything. He, he looks at me, he eyeballs me and said, hey, does he have problems sleeping? Does he snore a whole lot? You know, he, 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 
he figured out right away because I said, yeah, doc, I mean, I, I hardly eat. I'm, 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 I'm restricting my calories. It's like mostly proteins and vegetables. I'm really trying to avoid stuff and I still keep gaining weight. I have no energy to exercise. I'm, he's like, how are you sleeping? You know, uh, he was able to diagnose, diagnose me right on the spot as uh, somebody was asking. And when he explained to me about the cortisol connection, suddenly this light bulb just went off in my head. I'm like, oh man, that totally makes sense, you know? And so uh, the first thing that I did before I started to do anything else or make any other changes to my life, the first thing I did was, was get tested uh, for uh, doing a sleep study so they could monitor my sleep, figure out how bad it was, uh, get fitted for a CPAP. And as soon as I got on that thing, and it took a while, by the way, I should say my lifestyle is... Uh, as you, sometimes very makes it very difficult for things like regular healthcare. And when I'm traveling on the road and stuff, you know, it's kind of hard to like schedule appointments for sleep studies and stuff like that. But Sarah was relentless and was able to get it taken care of. And we, we were able to figure it out. And as soon as I got fitted for that sleep app and I went to sleep with it one night and I, uh, I woke up feeling incredibly better, so rested, so healthy, so uh, relaxed. Uh, it was, it was life-changing, uh, after on day one. And, uh, and ever since it has been just probably the best thing that I've ever done is just been able to treat that. Treating that allowed me to see the benefits of my other behavioral changes that I've been making. And it really, without, without that initial step, without uh, addressing that issue first, nothing else would have been possible. Yeah. Maybe the book should be about of bears and of bears and sleep apnea. No, you know, <laughs> the snoring well, I'm sure, bear. I'm pretty sure you're gonna. Sure, or, yeah, I think I'm pretty sure you're gonna write another book, and so yeah, you can, yeah. You can do that. But um, now you you mentioned a story, and I'm gonna just say he's gonna say this story, and he says people want to send him donuts. Don't send him any donuts. Uh, <laughs> yes, you may know a donut place that's better than uh, Krispy Kreme. I I know a couple myself. Uh, but yeah. that said. Um, it talks a lot. The story tells a lot about how our brain kind of, I'm not going to say malfunctions because there's a very good reason for it to work the way it works, but it, it literally seems almost against us at times. And we end up doing things that are completely outside of what we had decided we were going to do. Um, can you kind of talk a little bit about what's going on in our brain and, and start out with the donut story? Yeah. 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 So, well, I, I use the donut story to illustrate uh, the difference between uh, conscious motivations and unconscious motivations, you know, and, and, uh, and when I use those terms conscious and unconscious, I don't mean them in like a Freudian sense, you know, I mean more of a modern neuroscientific perspective, uh, there's parts of our brain that we're aware of, and there's parts of our brain that we're not really that aware of, you know, and, and there are uh, areas in our brain that contribute to making decisions. Now, one of those areas is is the prefrontal cortex, which is the home of what we think of as our conscious mind. If you are actively thinking about something uh, in your head and you're considering the pros and cons and uh, what's going to happen if I do this versus this, or, you know, what did I do earlier versus, you know, what are my objectives, my goals, things like that. Well, that's all part of your consciousness. The unconscious uh, uh, decision maker is an area called your nucleus accumbens. And that area doesn't really factor in any of that information. Uh, it has learned uh, lessons uh, through your life about things in your environment that will make your life better under certain circumstances. You know, these are 
these these are behaviors that we have learned through something we call reinforcement. And re, you know, anytime I experience something that seems to make my life better or seems to have some value in that moment, uh, then I learn that that's a good thing, and my nucleus accumbens will record that information and lead me to want to repeat it again in the future if I have an opportunity. The nucleus accumbens makes those decisions. And we do, uh, and it makes them without anything resembling conscious thought. What it does is it creates in us an urge or a desire, you know, to engage in behavior, right? So, I always talk about the 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 way these two things work, and sometimes they work in opposition to one another. Like for example, I don't want to consume things like donuts anymore. You know, I don't want to. Uh, that's not that's not consistent with my long-term objectives of trying to be there for my for my daughter you know but in the past i've consumed a lot of donuts and in the consumption of those donuts my nucleus accumbens has learned that donuts are an excellent way to make my life better <laughs> you know at least uh at least in the short term you know i consume a, a donut i got a nice sugar rush there's a lot of energy packed into that donut it makes me feel good it tastes good there's a release of serotonin in my brain, which makes me uh, uh, stabilize my mood. So I feel good that way. My nucleus accumbens has learned a life lesson uh, through repeated exposures throughout my life that donuts equal an opportunity to make my life better. So whenever I see uh, and uh, one of the uh, triggers or one of the stimuli that I associate with Krispy Kreme donuts, I can't help but to suddenly feel an urge to get a donut. You know, this is an unconscious decision being made by my nucleus accumbens. So the story I often tell is when I lived in San Francisco, and this was a while back be, uh, before I started touring pretty heavily, but there was uh, San Francisco, as you might, might be aware, as a city without a uh, Krispy Kreme. Uh, and I even checked recently because I wanted to make sure they hadn't opened one up. You know, you're, yeah, you're, you're going to have to pull it off the shelves because this is Krispy Kreme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I had to, uh, I had to, I had to make sure like I was writing factual stuff, you know, what I'm writing. So, so this, uh, there's no Krispy Kreme in San, in San Francisco. And a lot of people refer to, to, to San Francisco as uh, they talk about the whole Bay Area, but I talk specifically about the city. You know, I didn't pay ridiculous rent for nothing. You know what I mean? I, I identify with the city, not the, the Bay Area. So I'm living in the middle of the city. The closest San Francisco to where I was living was about 45 minutes south on the freeway. And uh, now uh, I love Krispy Kreme donuts, but I'm not willing to do a 90 minute round trip just to get them you know there's i do have my limitations for my urges you know but if i found myself driving down a highway for some other reason uh then i would think of it as oh that's an opportunity for me to also get some donuts you know i'm going down that highway anyway i might as well get some donuts uh now after living there for a period of time my uh my brain started to realize that this was the case and started to automatically associate driving down that highway with the opportunity to get donuts whether i was going to whether i was hungry or not well you know whether i was interested in getting them or not uh every time every time i would find myself driving down uh, i think it was the 280 highway from san francisco i would suddenly have the urge to get krispy kreme uh, and of course i would start to see the billboards i would start to see the uh, the other markings, you know, the next exit, Krispy Kreme, that kind of stuff. And and that would all intensify the urge, you know. And in my head would carry out a little bit of a conversation. And I, 
this conversation doesn't actually occur in the way it is presented, but it's uh, I think it's an it, it's metaphorical. It's sort of uh, if you can think about my nucleus accumbens and my prefrontal cortex talking to each other. My prefrontal cortex says, "Well, my nucleus accumbens says, hey, we can get some Krispy Kreme. You know, this is a great opportunity to get some Krispy Kreme. This, do we know this highway? This is this is where Krispy Kreme is. You know, let's get some Krispy Kreme. I suddenly have a strong urge to get some Krispy Kreme. My prefrontal cortex steps in and says, hey, wait a minute. I know, uh, I know I have a urge to get Krispy Kreme. I know this is an opportunity to make my life better and at least in the short term, but I'm trying to lose weight. I'm trying to manage my behavior and uh, you know, donuts aren't really consistent with that. So I'm not gonna get donuts. And, and my nucleus accumbens is still presenting that urge to my brain. I still, it's still saying, ah, come on, you know? Uh, okay, tell you what, we don't have to get donuts. You know, uh, they got good coffee. We could get good coffee. You know, they, we, we, you know, we, we were going to get coffee anyway. Let's stop and get some coffee. And my prefrontal cortex will answer back and say, now, you know, we're not just going to get coffee. All right. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, quit trying to trick me. We're, uh, you're going to, you're going to get me in the store for, you know, with the, under the guise that I'm going to get coffee. And then of course I'm going to be exposed to the donuts and I'm going to succumb to my, to my craving. Uh, and so, there's this whole conversation going on, this argument, if you will, between my, my conscious desire to uh, not get donuts and my unconscious craving or urge uh, to get some donuts. And that whole conversation sort of comes to an end when I realize I just parked my car in their parking lot. <laughs> you know, I, I had like... And like, uh, and, and this is actually, uh, this story is based on on a, on a real uh, instance in my life. I, I remember sitting there in the parking lot and thinking to myself, you know, I have really no recollection of getting off on a highway and steering my car into this parking lot. I've been acting completely out of habit while I've been thinking about, I don't want to get donuts. Uh, and so here I am in the car, in the parking lot. And I caught myself actually in that moment. I did. I was like, okay, this is crazy. I'm not gonna get donuts. I don't want to get donuts. And so I picked, put my car back in reverse, and I got back on the highway. And I did not get the donuts uh, that day. Uh, actually, I got them on the way back, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and they were, they were delicious too. Let me yeah. tell you. No, uh, but no, it's a, it's a, it, it's interesting to me uh, because what this story illustrates and what this this you know it, not a little bit of knowledge of the underlying structures the nucleus accumbens and the prefrontal cortex what this what this helps people understand i think is that uh our behavior even uh, my phone is dinging i apologize if that's getting picked up on your uh, on your audio let me shut it off real quick there we go you can always edit that or not doesn't matter <laughs> but what i am um, uh what I think is really interesting about this uh, situation is that very often uh, we engage in behavior that is uh, contradictory to what our, our expressed intent might be. You know, uh, I want to lose weight, but then I get, I, but then I eat donuts. You know, I want to, I want to exercise more, but then I come home and I sit on the couch and watch TV for six hours. You know, I, 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 I we all have these expressed desires, these expressed goals and objectives, and then we end up either not doing them or doing something that's uh, contradictory uh, to those goals. And uh, a little bit of understanding about how the brain works and how we have these different mechanisms that are steering our behavior in different ways. One of them, of course, is, is based on conscious, rational thought. And the other one is much more, uh, I don't want to use the word instinctive because that implies that we were born with it. 
but much more uh, ingrained uh, in our, uh, rooted in our, in, in deep areas of our brain, because those are lessons that, uh, those are, those are real basic lessons. And those are basic lessons that we learned at a very early point in our life, you know, be, probably before we even had the ability to, to form conscious thoughts. I probably learned how to appreciate sugar long before I learned how to put together a sentence, you know? Yeah. These are, the, I, I don't know, I don't like to describe them as, uh, as forces, you know, but they are kind of like oppositional uh, objectives uh, that our brain may have, you know, unfortunately, our unconscious uh, mechanisms don't have the ability uh, to see very far into the future. Uh, and so when we're talking about our long term objectives, like I want to live to be there for my daughter when she turns 30 or whatever, my nucleus accumbens is I may appreciate that my nucleus accumbens just knows that if i see an opportunity to eat some donuts i'm going to feel that urge and that's that's a hard thing to wrestle with 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 what the desire to live longer for my daughter but it is a it's a it's a very important thing because i i think a lot of us think of ourselves as failing because we 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 fall prey to that and we're like okay yeah. i'm i'm a weak person or i don't have willpower or and those kind of things, and and the reality of it is, this is a this is a learned behavior uh, over many many years of our lives, and to uh, I guess for lack of a better word, to reprogram ourselves, you know, to, to cut that groove out uh, and and build another groove takes a lot of work and a lot of time. It took me about forty five years uh, to learn all of the behaviors that made me fat. Uh, all of them, you know, the fact that I, the, 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 the desire to come home and sit on the couch or, you know, the, this, you know, watching the TV, surfing internet, you know, all the things that keep me pretty sedentary, you know, uh, it took me 45 years to learn all that. It took me 45 years to learn how to pick out good restaurants and, uh, seek out, you know, opportunities to eat donuts and other junk, you know, and, and, and all it, it's going to take longer than, you know, uh, a few days or longer than a few months to be able to to change that in my brain and so it's gonna you know i uh if i have uh if i have a moment where you know i uh i i've gained a few, i've gained a little bit of weight because you know I'm, I'm not watching my calorie intake as closely as i should be or i'm not getting as much exercise as closely as i should be i don't come down on myself you know i just i, I so that's part of the process you know uh backtracking is is literally part of the process you know because you're 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 what you're trying to do is reverse 45 years in my case now it's 50 years worth of bad learning uh, and it's going to take a, a maybe a few more years uh before my brain completely gets to the point where it's making healthier decisions more often than unhealthy decisions now you uh, you brought on a bunch of uh, a bunch of different comedians that that you knew or or actually got in touch with through friends of friends kind of thing, and yeah. what was interesting is that your your approach is a pure calories in calories out kind of model, um, and quite aggressive uh, when you're on. Um, th th but what the, some of the lessons you brought from these other comedians is there's there's multiple ways to to win this war, um, yeah. and they're all approaching it from different ways. Um, can you talk a little bit about the different ways that folks you know are, oh, yeah. are going through this journey? Um, and then in particular, I want to then circle back around and talk about your your calories in, calories out model. Because mm -hmm. you brought it, you brought up a, a couple of really important aspects to if you're going to approach this from a calories in, calories out, 
uh, these are going to be real experiences for you. Yeah. So uh, I think probably my favorite part of the book is talking to uh, the other comics. Uh, and they're not all comics, by the way. The One of them was a restaurant owner uh, yeah. who I happen to know very, pretty well. But uh, I... Um, I wish there was more variety, but I, I thought because, you know, keeping it funny, I wanted to try to keep talk to comedians and maybe maybe they'll make a joke while we're talking about weight loss, you know. Yeah. But um, I uh, I love that part of the book because, first of all, I found it very motivating. Every single interview I did uh, with these with these guys uh, and, and, and girls, uh, I felt uh, I felt inspired. Uh, every single time, you know, just listening to their stories. Uh, it was wonderful. And I also like that, uh, you know, I, I not everybody made the book, but I like that there was such a variety in the methods. And so that really brought up a lot of issues. You know, a couple of the people I interviewed uh, were losing weight thanks to uh, a dietary, uh, a, a form of diet, I guess maybe it's a form of diet management called uh, intermittent fasting. And uh, intermittent fasting uh, is, uh, has been such a successful form of behavior change for so many people that I've, I've considered doing it myself. Uh, but uh, I, I know my own lifestyle limitations and I don't know that it would probably, it would fit well uh, with the way I schedule things or way my, my life schedules. But intermittent fasting is basically, uh, you, you fast for uh, the majority of your day, 24 hour period, and then you have sort of this window, uh, however big the window might be, uh, that you are able to, you know, eat food unrestrained. Uh, and so as long as you restrict your eating to that particular, you know, point in time, then, you know, you're going to lose, uh, lose weight because you can only take in so much food. I mean, you, you know, it's, you know, it's not, I don't imagine intermittent fasters are uh, hooking themselves up to like a funnel of ice cream during their, <laughs> their window. You know what I mean? Like Probably they're going to eat regular food. Yeah. They're going to eat regular yeah. food. And so, you can eat calorically dense food during that time, but you're not going to be able to eat so much that you're going to, you know, compensate for the other hours that you weren't eating. Uh, that's that was one popular way. Uh, obviously, uh, a couple of people I worked, with, uh, I talked to, uh, had seen most of their weight loss through exercise, increasing their their calories out, uh, and uh, and then of course, uh, you know, at, at least one was uh, talking about uh, the use of medication to help, you know, and. And, uh, and, and one thing that I, I, I wanted to touch on, uh, and this is something that is a theme of my book throughout the beginning, the, the way to lose weight is something that every single human being knows. Uh, we all know how to lose weight. We eat less and we exercise more. And that's the calories in, calories out approach that you were talking about. That is literally how we lose weight. People ask me all the time, what's your secret? What's your secret? And like, well, it's, 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 it's a really, it's a new form of weight loss, right? It's called eating less and exercising more. And it's like, oh man, that's it. You know, like a, everybody knows how to lose weight. The problem is actually following through and doing that. You know, how do you eat less and exercise more? Uh, well, I focus more on the eat, eating less part and I do intermittent fasting or I focus more on the exercising more part. And I, I've started exercising and, and kickboxing and, and uh, you know, lifting weights, you know, or, or walking or whatever. There's uh, or, you know, I, 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 I do the eat less part by getting uh, gastric bypass surgery, you know, that, I mean, literally that's just making you eat less, you know, or taking a, uh, Wagovi that just makes you eat less. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of, uh, 
there's all sorts of ways in which you can go about eating less and eating uh, and exercising more. Uh, now, I, I, I like calorie counting because for me, uh, I get to keep tabs on everything that I'm consuming. And, uh, and of course, sort of, and, and exercising more, I'll be honest, is tough for me. Uh, I have a real hard time with, with physical exercise. As somebody who's overweight, uh, I don't enjoy running. <laughs> You're gonna, I hate, I, you know, it's like the worst activity. I barely enjoy walking, but I do a lot of it. And I, I try to trick myself into exercising by not calling it exercising. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, I, I try to stay physically active by doing things that involve walking. Like, for example, I'll take my kid to the zoo. That's not exercise. That's just we're going to look at animals, you know, but yet I'm walking for six hours, you know. So uh, it's a it's the there's a mindset there, uh, but it really does come down to that. And all of these guys stories, uh, they were all I, I found them all very inspirational and motivational. And I really wanted to include as many of them as I could, uh, because I think that in addition to my story, in addition to some of the other things I talk about in the book, I mean, that's where the real motivation comes from, because we all know how to lose weight. It's just eating less and exercising more. Uh, the, uh, the How we get that to happen for ourselves, well, that's something we have to figure out. And I think getting a little inspiration from how other people do it uh, is pretty helpful. So I like that part of my book a lot. Yeah, I, I did too. Now, another part of your book that I really liked, um, well, liked and disliked, but it, it, you'll get to the story on that. But, um, you know, when we try to restrict ourselves calories, um, our body gets hungry. Our body gets irritable. It gets uh, rowdy. You called it shark mode um, because we're not we're not we're not in a good place. We're not doing the things that our subconscious mind would say are pleasurable or beneficial. We know uh, it is, but at the same time, it's it, that's not that doesn't make it easy. Uh, can you talk a little bit about shark mode and being hungry? Yeah, my uh, my daughter actually called it shark mode. Uh, she came up with that uh, you know uh, that term, and uh, and I and I love it. It's uh, you know we've seen these commercials. I think they're for uh, uh, for Snickers or something where they talk about being hangry, you know, and like. You know, somebody's all irritable, you know, and they're, they're mad and stuff. It's, hey, you look pretty mad. Here, eat a candy bar. It'll, you know, make you calm you down. Uh, being calorie deprived is itself considered a form of threat uh, to the body. Uh, just like we need sleep, you know, we, and just like we need to breathe, you know, we're going to, uh, we, we need to consume calories to sustain our lives. So if you're not breathing, uh, your, your body helps to solve that problem by waking you up with a big jolt of cortisol. And if you are deprived from calories, uh, you know, if you're, you're, if you, you're essentially, you know, your body thinks it's starving itself, uh, that's also a source of stress. You know, it gets us stressed out. And as, and as we increase our cortisol levels, uh, because we're not consuming enough, uh, well, then it makes us irritable, uh, it makes us anxious, you know. Uh, it, it, it gives us the a tendency to you know, to react poorly uh, to things in our environment, you know. And and I I, I think in the in, in the book I talk about uh, an occasion where I was, uh, you know, uh, depriving myself of calories so that I can lose weight, but at the same time, uh, just being really grouchy and 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 uh, and, and snapping at my family and uh, you know and feeling bad about that, you know. I, I remember um, uh, I, I remember thinking I even wrote this in the book that I wish I could just go off uh, to some cabin uh, by myself, be isolated for six months 
and and live on nothing but like the bare minimum calories. Uh, I could be as grouchy as I need to be, and I wouldn't affect anybody else's life uh, in the process. You know, I'm a much nicer person on a full stomach. You know, I'm a much uh, I'm a much cheerful person. I'm a much funnier comedian uh, when I've when I've when I've have eaten. You know, and those are those are real things. This is something that every person has to come to terms with and accept is that sometimes we're going to have these moments uh, where we are feeling the effects of being calorie deprived and we have to figure out ways to be okay with that because uh, you know if we can, if we're never hungry then we're never going to lose weight uh, the the whole reason why so many of us are carrying a lot of weight is because we have uh, a wonderful world that we occupy, which allows us the opportunity to satisfy any hunger at any time. You know, anytime I feel hungry for anything, I can go out and get it. And, uh, and that's, that's a great world, but it's also a world that makes it real difficult, uh, to, to get rid of the excess body weight. Yeah. And I, I think that's important. You know, the, the concept that we, there's nothing inherently bad about being hungry other than just paying attention to the way you're living your life around that and coming right. to terms with how to do that. Right. Uh, oddly enough, I do have a client. He does that. He has a, he has a cabin. He goes up to the cabin for a weekend and, you know, does his, does his fasting, does his yeah. thing. And, uh, he uses that as a strategy. Uh, so not a bad strategy. Uh, although I actually you know, think that, that actually seems like a, a really good strategy. It just, uh, I, I could never, I couldn't work it. I, I, I wouldn't want to be away from my family and, uh, yeah, but that's, that, that definitely, I can imagine that working very well. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Um, Brian, I define wellness as being the healthiest, fittest and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well? You know, uh, so I could focus e uh, very easily on, uh, you know, uh, you know, managing body weight, uh, you know, uh, getting good you know, exercise, uh, being, you don't have to be physically fit, you just have to be active. And that's the one thing I, a lot of people don't understand, uh, you know, I uh, just just move your body, you know, we sit too much, we, we lay around too much, you know, we, 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 uh, we're not very active at all, just the more we move our body, I, I uh, and of course, getting good sleep. And I could focus on those three things. That would be my trifecta. But really, uh, what underlie for me, the underlying piece of all of those is to try to uh, manage stress. If we can manage uh, our stress levels, if we can manage uh, not just the things that stress us out, because that's, but also how we let those things bother us. You know how. Uh, how we get affected emotionally. Uh, that is really a big piece of wellness, in my opinion. You know, stress leads to everything. Uh, it leads to all sorts of physical complications, mental complications. Uh, it leads to uh, excessive eating. It leads to uh, weight loss. If we, you know, and, and which seems contradictory, but there's different circumstances for everything. You know, uh, and so uh, I, I really do focus when I talk about wellness. I do talk about stress management as being key. And then after uh, after stress management, of course, then other things seem to fall into place. Like it's hard to be happy uh, when you're stressed. Now, in fact, it's physically impossible to be both happy and stressed at the same time as the brain mechanisms are, are different. And so once we can manage stress, then we it allows us the opportunity to live a healthier, more productive life. And so then, of course, we have to do things that make us happy. Uh, we have to exercise regularly and we have to try to manage uh, healthy behaviors. Uh, I think that there's nothing inherently wrong with eating donuts. 
I think like everything, it is, uh, it's a, an issue of moderation. Uh, and one of the problems that, that I face and that other Americans face as well, you said 60% of us, you know, one of the problems that we face is that there is no external barrier uh, that's forcing us to moderate, you know, and, and we don't really have the internal mechanism to say, hey, I've had enough donuts, you know, there's, uh, you, it used to be the case that you've had enough donuts because there's no donut shop available. There's nothing close by or there's no, you know, it's too inconvenient yeah. to get out. I mean, I don't have enough money, et cetera. But food is cheap. It's all over the place. <laughs> and, it's, uh, and even if I don't have the means to go get it, I could push a couple buttons on my phone and have them bring it to me. And that is, uh, that, that's part of our problem. I don't think that's three things. I think I blew that answer completely. No, uh, no, but I, but I think I at least touched on uh, <laughs> With wellness, though, uh, I really do think that uh, we need to focus on uh, mental, our, 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 um, uh, our reaction to stress in our environment. And, and then stress, our reaction to stress then feeds into so much of what we consider as wellness. You know, when we talk about wellness, like our physical, uh, you, know, uh, you know, our physical well-being, our mental well-being, our emotional well-being and all all three of those things actually stem from from how well we manage stress so you know, i i do kind of come back to that stress management as being key and sometimes well, it's not stress yeah. sometimes it's you can't you can't breathe while you're sleeping <laughs> you know <laughs> there you go well good reason for them to get this book and to get your previous book because that one did focus on stress management uh, brian if someone wanted to learn more about you learn more about your books where would you like for me to send them uh, all over, you can find me all over the internet as, uh, on social media, Dr. Brian King. Uh, I'm on, I, I've got that name on pretty much every platform. Uh, I, uh, Amazon, of course, they've got nice write-ups about me. DrBrianKing.com is my website, but it's, it's, uh, it's perpetually under development. So don't send people there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I would say that just, yeah, just to get, just to find me on the usual socials until I get that website finished. Uh, and oh. maybe, maybe, maybe I'll never get it finished. I don't know. It's not a high priority. I find that even when, even when I had a, uh, a really well-developed website, people would still just Google me, find me on Facebook and send me a message or, you know, follow me on Facebook or something. So it really led to the neglect of the website of over, over time, you know, as a social media dominance. I'm a comedian first and foremost, you know, I have a degree in psychology and I do a lot of things psychology related, but I, I'm a comedian and I try to be funny. And, uh, and being funny is, you know, something that we do on social media when we're not on stage. Excellent. Brian, thank you so much for being a part of 40 plus fitness. Thank you. And thank you for what you're doing. Uh, I really do appreciate uh, your, uh, your, your role and your podcast. And of course, uh, I've, I've looked, a, looked a little into what, what your bio is all about. And, and I really think you're doing some good work. So thank you. Thank you. Welcome back, Raz. Hey, Alan. That was really an interesting interview. I don't know that I've ever heard of a comedian that also had a doctorate in psychology. <laughs> Seems you know, like he, a I very think, interesting I, if combination. If I recall, he said in the book, he said in the book that there is someone else. Oh, he's really? Yeah, he said he's not the <laughs> only one, but I, I think wow. so. I think so. Again, I, I, I read quite a bit, so sometimes yeah. I forget what I read. But I do believe he said um, that there was there was another That's one. So but, fascinating, uh, you know. But there, when you think about it, it's they're related topics because the the concept of getting somebody to laugh is to understand how they think, 
True. and be able to communicate something that you know that someone based on basic psychology would think is funny. Yeah. Uh, and so there is a psychology behind comedy. So it, it kind of makes sense. Um, but to go all the way for a doctorate, you would think of yeah. it as being dry and research and all that kind yeah, of stuff. So, exactly. Yeah, exactly. There is this juxtaposition of yeah. okay, someone who actually had to do studies and write papers and all this stuff to then someone who's standing on stage uh, telling fart <laughs> jokes. I know. <laughs> I know. It's so it's just such a juxtaposition. But there are two things in your interview that really piqued my interest. And the first was how you discussed in the beginning about yo-yo dieting and having on and off motivation. And it sounds like, uh, Dr. King, Brian had a, um, a aha moment. His light bulb moment was when his spouse was pregnant or his partner was pregnant and he was expecting a child. And suddenly all the years of, of dieting and not dieting and up and down weight suddenly became very clear that he needed to make some very serious changes in order to be there for his uh, soon child. So it's important to have a why it's important. It's, and that was obviously his big why. Yeah. And, and the, the basic point that comes out of this is you, you start thinking about all the temptations and impulses and things that are going on that you just do, you mm -hmm. know, donuts, He's donuts <laughs> yes. story. and it's like, you, you sit there and talk yourself into donuts. You talk, can talk yourself out of donuts sometimes, sure. but if you don't have a compelling emotional, why that mm -hmm. part of your logic brain's never going to win that argument. Right. Because right. you can sit there and say, well, we want donuts. And it's like, no, we don't want donuts. Mm -hmm. Well, why? And that's mm -hmm. got to be compelling. Because if it's not a compelling why, your prefrontal cortex is going to lose that argument every time because your brain, well, let's have one. It's like, okay, let's have one. Uh, oh, mm -hmm. we just bought a dozen. That's okay. We'll start again tomorrow. Right. You'll convince yourself that it's okay to take this mm -hmm. splurge. Or you'll say, well, you know, but we, we did go for that one mile walk this morning. So, you know, I'll have a donut. And mm -hmm. we talk ourselves into that stuff all the time because the mm -hmm. temptations there, the habits there, like he said, his trigger was just being on a particular highway. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so for him to get past that, and he did, so he pulled out of the driveway, but on his way back, he got donuts. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> you still, you have to have that why your, your yeah. prefrontal cortex, that logic part of your brain is not always going to win these arguments, but mm -hmm. the more compelling your why is the more often you will. Oh, for sure. The more often you do, the more consistent you are, the better your results. Yeah, absolutely. It's important. We, we talk about that in the running world all the time. It's important to have a why, because otherwise you're not going to want to get up at 5 a.m. to go for a run. You're not going to want to run in the snow and the rain like we do. You need to have a real solid why to stick through that training, to make it to race day and to finish sometimes a pretty hard race. So having a solid reason to get up and, and suffer through some of these things or to bypass the Krispy Kreme donuts, is, <laughs> it's an important thing. It's very helpful in reaching goals. Well, even in my book, I talked about when I would get off the elevator and they had the spud nuts in the break room, which was like mm -hmm. almost right across the hall. And you'd see people like chumming like sharks and I'd <laughs> smell it and I'd see that and I'd be like, crap, there's spud nuts. Mm -hmm. And it was never a eat one spud nut. You know, it was mm -hmm. eat the spud nut, come back, get coffee, eat another one. And then if you come back at lunchtime and there's still some in the box, well, they're not there. There you anymore. go. Yeah. And, and so, <laughs> And again, it, it literally took me saying, okay, my prefrontal cortex has to put me on a path past mm -hmm. that room. 
mm-hmm. and then set rules, set criteria, set the things that I'm going to do that mm-hmm. my logic brain just says, no, mm-hmm. I'm going to go get some nuts out of my room. I'm going to walk in there. I'm going to get a coffee. I'm going to eat some nuts so that mm-hmm. I'm going to be standing around talking to everybody else and not a freak sure. in my office. And then after I finish that, I know I'm not hungry. I just had the nuts. And mm-hmm. so I just make sure every trip to the bathroom, which would have me going by that break room, every trip that I would need to go get coffee, which would have me in that break room, I mm-hmm. did it on a different floor. So I walked around, went up to the stairwell, walked down or up to nice. the next floor. It meant more steps that day. It meant, sure. you know, because again, going to the bathroom a few times, getting coffee a couple times in the morning, you know, a few more trips up and down the flight of stairs uh, mm-hmm. to get what I wanted. And I avoided the spud nuts. I just said, I'm not going in there again today at all. It's mm-hmm. off limits. And, and at the end, it was that was one. Say, it was a wine yeah. that just drove it. It drove it. And then that allowed my logic brain to talk me out of certain activities. That's awesome. And I feel like at the end of that day, there's got to be a little bit more satisfaction. At least I would find additional satisfaction in having that extra step count or doing that extra workout and routine. Personally, it's it's a huge celebration, a huge win that doing these extra activities is way better than a donut in my book. <laughs> but yeah. there's a win there. But there's a there's and as he talks about this in the book too, is there there is a reward when you eat a donut. There's so sure. you can see it. But if you've ever like they do the first year birthday party for a kid and they let them mm-hmm. dig into the cake and you watch mm-hmm. the first time that kid has icing. And you can just see it on their face. They are coked out of their brain <laughs> with dopamine. You know, the body is sure. releasing all the dopamine and mm-hmm. the whole face lights up and they're just jazzed. Mm-hmm. And that's the beginning of a sugar addiction. And mm-hmm. so there's the habit of sugar. It gives me that dopamine feel. I like mm-hmm. that. Your body mm-hmm. tells you, your brain, the other part of your brain, the non-logic part of your brain says, do more of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there's a, there's a survival reason for it. You know, you, 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 when your brain rewards you for eating things, you, you eat more and that helps you survive. So you don't starve. So you walk up mm-hmm. on a field of blueberries. I know that's not super exciting today with everything else that's on the market, <laughs> but right. when that's, that was the sweetest thing that you'd typically eat in a year, you walk up mm-hmm. on a field of blueberries, you're going to eat all the blueberries and then you're going to mm-hmm. put on a little bit of body fat, but that's cool because we're going to go into the winter season and we're going to probably need that body fat to survive. Mm-hmm. And, but we don't now there's, you mm-hmm. know, there's crisp, there's, there's stores that sell donuts. I mean, so that's yeah. all you have to really know is if they can build a whole business around selling just one product, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's all you need to know. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's a, it's hard to beat that marketing sometimes, but, yeah. but just like you did, you established a different routine and got a different type of dopamine hit, a different type of satisfaction by running up and down stairs and doing other things instead of having that sugar hit, you know, from the donut. Yeah. So it's just setting new habits. But the other thing that I thought was interesting in your conversation was a different, um, a different discussion around the calories in calories out model. I guess whenever I hear calories in, calories out, I think about getting out my food log and putting in how much I eat versus how much I've burned. But um, he, he just 
highlighted other things like maybe doing intermittent fasting or gastric bypass or uh, eating less and exercising more. Like there's a number of different ways to work on that particular equation. I thought that was an interesting outlook. Yeah. Well, and, and I think the core of it was that he is very much a calories in calories out model person Mm -hmm. and everybody that he talked to in one way or another was utilizing calories in calories out. It was their their own way of doing it. Some of them were exercising more. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them had gastric bypass, so they just couldn't eat more. Right. Uh, Some of them were taking medications that made them just not want food. Mm -hmm. Um, For him, it is, it is calorie restriction. He just sets Mm -hmm. rules for himself and he just doesn't. Mm -hmm. Um, there, you know, and, and, and you look at, um, intermittent fasting, if, again, if you're not eating as much in that one or two meals or whatever, during that window of time, you'll eat mm-hmm. less. And for some right. people, that's, that's a great strategy to make that happen. There's mm-hmm. nothing fundamentally wrong with the calories in calories out model. As long as you really understand what you're doing mm-hmm. and you factor in the other parts of your biology and your biochemistry and just how mm-hmm. all this stuff works. And so few people understand that because they're like, well, I'm eating this amount of calories and I'm exercising. I lose two pounds. Great. The next mm-hmm. week they do the same thing and they lose one pound. Great. And then they do the same thing the next week and they don't lose any weight. And they're like, right. Oh my God, what's going on? I guess I have to eat less and move more. And they do that and they run through the cycle to their point where it's just so low yeah. for them to lose weight. And yeah, you can, you can exercise more, but how much, I mean, mm-hmm. quite literally how much. So what I'm doing over the course of uh, the next um, month, at least, well, the first half of the month for sure, is I'm going to do a workshop. So this will be a free workshop. Oh. I'm going to do via Zoom. I'm going to, uh, basically, you can find it if you go to 40plusfitness.com forward slash workshop. And this is going to be a workshop that's going to talk about how to get your why together, how to put this stuff together. You know, we'll talk about, calories, if you want to talk about calories, but we'll, we'll talk about how to put a plan together. So mm-hmm. that basically at that point, you're, you, you got the motivation you need, you got the why you got all the things in place. Awesome. Make sure that you have the tools. Now, in addition to that, the next, at least the next two episodes will be about weight loss. Okay. So uh, I'm going to dive into some things that you need to consider as you go into a weight loss journey in next week's episode. And then mm-hmm. in the following episode, I'm going to deep dive into calories in, calories out, why it works most mm-hmm. of the time. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, we'll dive into it and we'll have those conversations. So uh, if you're looking to lose weight uh, for the next two weeks, pay attention and, and log in and listen to these podcasts. Uh, but if you're interested in working directly with me in a workshop environment, probably going to be like an hour, maybe an hour and a half that we'll get on a Zoom call, all of us as a group. There'll be a workbook involved and we'll kind of walk through that workbook to help you kind of establish that structure that you would need to be successful. And then you can kind of make those decisions. Do I want to just focus on calories in calories out for a while because I can, do I want to do something more? And so at least understanding the structure and having that, because again, if you don't have the why and you don't have Mm -hmm. that, that logical brain isn't going to have the tools it needs to compete with the animal side of your brain that Mm -hmm. wants all this stuff. And cool. so if you're interested in that, go to 40 plusfitnesscom forward slash workshop. It's again, it's a free workshop. It'll be on zoom. There'll be like, I'm going to put four dates out there. So you can click on the link for the date that you want to, to sign up for. 
and then I'll send you the Zoom link for that particular workshop. But I'm going to have some of them on like Saturday afternoon, some of them on Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday night, Thursday night. So they'll be scattered over basically across July, the first three weeks of July or something like that. So there'll be different dates and times. You can pick a date and time that works best for you uh, to come on for an hour, hour and a half. I I just put the, I have bullet points right now for my plan. So I don't really have my PowerPoints together uh, to tell you exactly how long I expect it to take, but it should be about an hour, hour and a half. And then uh, I'll answer any questions after that. And uh, again, so if you're looking to put a plan together for weight loss and you've been struggling with it, this is a good opportunity for you to leave that call, leave that, con- you know, workshop with mm-hmm. it, with a good plan. That sounds awesome. Sounds great, Alan. Yeah. And then I guess the final bit is uh, if you're looking at a fitness, um, I'd strongly encourage you to consider signing up for the retreat. You mm-hmm. can go to 40plusfitness.com forward slash retreat. Uh, so we're going live with this episode on June 27th. So I, as of the recording of this, I have zero people who have signed up for it. This okay. It didn't happen last time. And so mm-hmm. I'm not going to stress over it, but I'm just going to be clear. I'm not going to spend money and hire people if if I'm not going to have people here. So right. yeah, I get it. If you can't come, I'm not upset about it. I, I just, <laughs> people keep reaching out and saying, you should do a retreat. You should do a retreat. You should do a mm-hmm. retreat. And then no one comes up and signs up for the retreat. So it's cool. Uh, it's out there. I'm going to leave it out for a couple more weeks. Mm-hmm. And then if I don't have anybody signed up by about the middle of July, I'm just going to shut it down. And I probably won't resurface the idea again, because mm-hmm. I put a lot into planning already. Um, mm-hmm. And I could have spent that time doing a lot more. So sure. uh, I just realized it's there. I want to have it. I've, I've got some great ideas. It's going to be pretty exciting. If you want to come down to Boca del Toro and work on mm-hmm. your fitness, um, but again, I understand it's a long way away. There's some costs involved, uh, but check it out. 40 plusfitnesscom forward slash retreat. Um, mm-hmm. And you can come down here and work out with me and lovely Bocas del Toro. And I'm, yeah. we'll, we'll have water by then. If not, I'll make sure. I'll <laughs> that so, sounds awesome. Don't worry about that. We'll have plenty of water. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> that sounds wonderful, Ellen. Thanks. All right. Well, Rachel, I'll see you next week when we talk about weight loss. Sure. Sounds great. All right. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Next time on the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we discuss the five keys to sustainable weight loss over 40. Until then, have a happy and healthy week.